This episode is sponsored by Ohm Center. Ohm was founded with the intention of fusing meditation with the seeds of wisdom and spirituality. Wisdom teaching strengthens the meditation experience by increasing self-reflection and inner peace. Now, I happen to know the founder of Ohm, Suzanne Hill, and every time I chat with her, she has the best pearls of wisdom to offer. Ohm Center is located on the east side of Manhattan, but has a thriving online presence where they offer classes in meditation, breathwork, chanting, wisdom training, and more, which is accessible all over the globe. Find them at ohmcenter.com. Now, I've had several dear friends of mine who have taken Ohm Center classes and absolutely rave about them. On today's episode, we have Max Josephson. A native of California, Max developed a fondness for programming, meditation, and color at a young age. Those combined passions led him to launch Empathy is Action, which makes mindfulness apps for heavy technology users. Past projects have been completed for Apple, Magic Leap, which is an augmented reality company, and Spire.io, a wearable device that tracks breathing. Great to have you here, Max. I decided to do some leave my computer. Um, yeah, set my computer outside. Share with us a little bit about the different things you've tried and like um, your GPS is not based on a career objective. It's based on, I want to do the things that are inspiring to me or appeal to me. So I was kind of always drawn. I think, you know, I grew up in a small town in Northern California where there wasn't a lot of uh, diverse lifestyles. It was like kind of a farming community. And I was um, kind of really um, rebelled against this very narrow structure that people would, you know, most of the people that lived there would stay there for their whole lives. Um, and so I think that that was one of the driving forces for me is, is uh, in opposition to that. And I think that as a, as a young person, like I think that a lot of, uh, a lot of us can relate to like this oppositional force um, yeah. that kind of drives us. So Absolutely. Well, did that make you uh, itinerant or a nomad? Um, yeah, I mean, to degree, like I, um, I, after college, I traveled around for, I, for a few months in 2017, I traveled around for a year and, um, I, and I think also like a nomad of, of definitely of ideas and of not wanting to like rush into a, uh, like a, a pathway that's just going to take me in this direction that I can already see for the rest of my life. Um, But it's also difficult too. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I think that, uh, and I think that there is a lot of stress in not knowing what you're going to do or how things are going to coalesce to create a, uh, a vision of yours. And I think that um, there's constant challenges of, of having to just trust that, you know, things are moving in a, uh, in a, in a direction you can't quite see them. And I, and I, right. I think that that's still the way with me. Like I, there's, I have a lot of different interests and things that I'm doing and working towards, but I still have like to keep open that I still have no idea what, 
maybe like my life's work is going to be, but I would like it to be about like the kind of the transcending of this individual ego and identity uh, to something a little bit broader and more focusing on the interconnectedness of things, whether that's like that. meditation or um, being able to use technology um, in a more mindful way um, that has to do with kind of self exploration or thinking about how we can kind of like hack our technology used to promote our like mental health or our uh, deeper desires um, or psychedelics um, to kind of inspire, inspire you to see what um, a different perspective might be. Um, no, I love that. And in many ways, Max, it's like your, your sandbox is this uh, uh, technology and, and, and mindfulness and self-awareness. And uh, you've done so many fascinating things where you've brought the two together. And I, I'm, just, I'm always in awe and in wonder because it's usually you have silos. People understand the technology side. People understand the mindfulness side. And to get the the two to t it's like you have to be bilingual and and you are you're brilliantly fluent on both sides so share with us some of those those projects i know you you worked on a aspire project and some other things yeah so um this this kind of technology that i developed for aspire i actually have going on right now and it's still something that's you know not released to the world either on spire's end or on my end but okay it's it's something that um is for based off of the fact that, you know, we're now on the screen more than 50% of our day. Um, and that that is a great, um, being on the screen is kind of like a great, could be a great information center back into ourselves, our inner selves, even though it's right now it's very external. Like we're, we're doing something outside of ourselves. We're working on these projects that kind of exist independently. One of the things that I've I've been working on um, is um, yeah, looking at the breath, uh, being mindful of the breath. We get so disconnected from the breath while we're on the computer, not just from a mindfulness perspective, but also from a physiological perspective. Our breath becomes really irregular on the computer, and um, if you if you track people's breath on the computer they'll actually stop breathing for almost a whole minute and they'll go <gasps> and, and then they'll have this really irregular breathing, um, which sends a signal to your body, putting you in the sympathetic nervous system, which is like the fight or flight, anxious, not promoting higher level reasoning, um, you know, promoting more stress hormones in your body. That's incredible. I had no idea about this. I'm yeah. In. Yeah. Um, wait, excuse me. What did you just say? You, you said that people can go a minute while they're on their screen yeah. without breathing, and then yeah, and then it's, gonna it's have like this, this kind of like tenseness in their body too. Wow. And then also, like it, besides the the sympathetic nervous system, if you're if you're trying if you're using your brain and you're trying to think about things, your body actually needs more oxygen, a little bit more oxygen than normal, and you're not getting that with that breathing either because um, your brain uses up a lot of the energy in your body and um, so um, that's one of the the things I'm focused on is kind of like using this computer as 
and interface back into yourself and and you know hopefully in the future like what i why i really became interested in programming in the first place in a more serious level is because i think that people are really um people at least in the United States, I think are not very emotionally intelligent or could be more emotionally intelligent. And I'm really interested in helping people do that in their normal day-to-day lives. And I think that that's really easy on the computer because you potentially already have a constant interface where you're able to look at some interface that can then self-reflect to you. No, that's great. I mean, especially it, it sounds like um, your program and uh, I don't want you to divulge anything that's um, still uh, top secret, so to speak, but there's some kind of feedback because you're, you're addressing the issue that we ourselves are not aware enough to know that we didn't breathe for the last 60 seconds. So we need something that helps us get there. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think that, um, yeah, I think that breath is is an obvious first step because um, into it lends into our eternal environment because it is so important for our to have to have a consistent breath rate for our uh, to act to to relax us and also promote higher level thinking while on the computer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm like interested. I'm also like very interested in like what Neuralink's doing with um, like uh, looking at activity in the brain. Um, but I think the breath is a, is a great first step and potentially, you know, um, all that we, all that we need to really, to get you deep into a, a more mindful state while on the computer, uh, a more state where you're realizing what your body needs, um, realizing, uh, how your thinking might be impacted. Um, yeah. Well, it's, so, it's sort of the, the most accessible, um, modality so to speak, right? Because um, you can't do yoga movements, asanas while you're in front of your computer, especially not with a Zoom call. Uh, and, and meditation maybe requires a little more preparation or a little more environmental control. But breath, it's, um, it's just, it's, it's immediate, it's accessible. So I, I, it makes so much sense that that would be a focal point for you. But, no, no, I loved that. That was brilliant. Um, where did your interest in programming come from? Well, um, my dad was an engineer, and so he did uh, created like computer systems for um, actually the wastewater treatment facilities in the town I grew up in. Mm. You know, kind of like you know connecting all machines together and things like that, and um, and then. I uh, have, but I guess even more than that is just, I've always had a love for mathematics. There's almost something like, I guess, like you could say spiritual to math for me. Um, I remember when I was a little kid, like, I like really liked like symmetry, like visual symmetry. And I think that that's something that we're, I would think most of us are kind of drawn towards like these symmetrical things. And there's a lot of beautiful symmetry in math or like, you know, uh, the, like you have a, an equation and you have to do the reverse steps of how is, things are presented to like, you know, separate the answer. Like, the, you know, there's, so there's all different types of symmetry. And absolutely. I mean, that even gets into like sacred geometry 
type yeah thing. Yeah. yeah definitely and you know like if you yeah you think of the, like the pyramids to like some of the biggest structures ever built are these very symmetrical very mathematically exact kind of things um absolutely it was interesting power. they did some research on beauty and um the worldwide tried to get some measure of beauty and what are the attributes and um, beauty, as we know, is very cultural. So they were trying to see if there was maybe a, a, something that superseded that. Um, what they found was that beauty is actually based on symmetry. Like symmetry of one's face is what lends it, them to be called or described as beautiful, male or female. And so it's, uh, you know, there's that, that harmony of that relationship with, with mathematics there that you discovered at a young age. That's so fascinating. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, and that's, that's something that, like, if you ask somebody, why is somebody beautiful? Like, they probably wouldn't be able to say, oh, their face is 3% more symmetrical. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it is really beautiful to have that. Really but you could design the app that would make that happen. Yeah, I could just mirror <laughs> this out of your face and it's perfect. Think about the different markets we could sell that, yeah. sell that into. <laughs> yeah, What's it's like profiles, but it'll, it duplicates left. the left side of your body to both sides. <laughs> you can totally sell that to eHarmony and be like yeah. percentage symmetry yeah. <laughs> as a measure. Um. That's great. Well, and, I, was, uh, I was listening to a old recording of myself from when I was like nine. And my father asked me like, what advice do you have to your future self in like 20 years? And it was keep doing that. math, keep doing it mathematics. Was, <laughs> was, oh, that was the answer. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, but not for like a specific reason, just because I, I just think that it's, it's beautiful in itself. And um, I don't know. Well, no, absolutely. You know, um, I've always been intrigued by um, your uh, fascination with color and, and the way you perceive color and think about color. Um, I, would I, any ideas where that stems from? Um, where, where, did you have artistic proclivities as a kid? Well, yeah, I mean, my, my mom is an artist and she would come in and, and teach art lessons in my like classes growing up. And um, I, and she's also somebody who's um, like interested in, I don't know, like associating like color as a, uh, is in relationship to more abstract um, awareness and um and like like meditation um both of my parents were really into meditation um and i think that uh i it, it's kind of interesting though i that it was like in a really in a dream uh setting that where i really um kind of had my first very spiritual experience with colors where I just saw these uh, different colors that kind of correlated to different, I guess, emotions of myself. And I just saw them all at once. And I think 
when you're in a dream state, a lot of your body is shut down. So you're able to really go into your mind, like mind activated on a, a little bit increased of a level, increased level. And I just, um, I think that colors are very, do trigger emotions in us and can be a lens uh, on a subtle level for understanding our own emotions in a way that's not tied to, to uh, symbolic or thought-based reasoning, but in it of itself is like more of like a experiential, I'm experiencing these emotions that are coming up. They don't necessarily relate to the situation that I'm in or that I don't need to make any choice or make any action, but I'm just, it's kind of, is a, is a reflection of uh, our inner emotions and kind of who we are as a being is an emotional animal and an animal that has feeling. And I think that that's really important because we live in such a cognitive thought-based symbolic world where everything is related to this language system that we've created. And that can kind of take us outside of this base reality that we have inside of us that oftentimes seems very subtle. Uh, and I think that colors in, a, in more abstract paintings or looked at apart from um, the objects and the meaning of the objects themselves that, that the colors are on, are very meditative in, in, uh, and do pull up emotion for us. And it can be very subtle, I think. Um, so you, I think that it, it, it benefits from like slow, slowing down, like, you know, gazing at something for a long time and kind of slowing down our minds so you can really feel um, what, our, what our own bodies are doing without with it, hopefully in a fresh perspective without trying to um, be relating it to um, like a particular thoughts, but yeah, have it more yeah, experiential, emotional. And in my dreamlike state, which is probably this experience I'm telling you is probably the peak experience of my whole life or the definitely the most important experience of my life. But I saw all of these colors related to my emotions and I was able to feel all of my emotions from good emotions to kind of bad or difficult emotions all at once. And it was almost like by doing so, I was activating myself in a, a way, maybe more interconnected way because I'm experiencing all of these emotions that normally are related to one moment in my life or another moment in my life, but I'm experiencing them all and it's not related to anything. And it's kind of just like, I may be like, just connecting with my felt sense of presence in general, apart from symbolism or making decisions or doing things. And, I, and I'm dreaming, so there's nothing to do. <laughs> no, there's no like being productive or something. Sure. And it just, I just, at that moment, I was like, this is the best I've ever felt in my whole life. And that's amazing. Uh, I, I love when you describe that and I, I get chills down my spine. <laughs> it's, uh, it's really invigorating. And uh, this is why I love to call you the Mark Rothko of, of mindfulness. <laughs> I love that too. <laughs> I love Mark Rothko too. Yeah. 
share with us, Max, when was the first time you meditated? I imagine it was with your parents. It was actually at a, um, my parents took me to a transcendental meditation TM um, class for kids, teaching kids to meditate through walking meditation, uh, which TM thinks is better for kids because kids oftentimes don't want to sit still. And, um, and it's kind of like this hypnotic <clears throat> walking around where you're kind of gazing at the floor but you're, you're just letting your eyes move across the floor. You're not like, you're not fixing on to little sections of the floor, um, but you're kind of having more broad perspective and you're just walking around. Uh, and I think I was, I was pretty young at this point. Like I, I want to say like maybe six or seven. That's really a brilliant way to do it because it focuses on um, being present. Uh, you know, when, when children walk, they're more present, they're more aware of what's going on around them. So yeah. um, kudos to them on that. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a really great technique. And I think that it's, it's something that a lot of people could benefit from is trying walking meditation. And a lot of different uh, religions incorporate walking meditation. Um, and I think that that is a really accessible form of meditation because a lot of people have a lot of trouble sitting still in general. And also, yeah, when you're walking around, your your blood is flowing. So you it can help your awareness as well in your presence. Um, it's kind of giving you a little something to do too, which can feel like gr more grounding for us because we're used to doing something. And meditation can be, feel like uh, there's nothing to do, which can be a little bit sometimes disconcerting from people because it kind of takes them out of this, you know, normal mode of thinking. In some ways, yeah, it almost like uh, untethers you from your reality. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Which has its great benefits, but uh, I can see how that could be uh, discombobulating for some people. Yeah, and I would say um, our normal reality is a very, I like to use, use the word symbolism. It's, it's based on symbolism, a symbolic system that we humans have created that is not the experiential system that like is almost like a, a separate system of our body um, that I think comes out more in the meditative state of like feeling uh, your senses and not using your, maybe your executive functionality, like maybe toning that down a little bit and just letting your like, moving into what feels natural. Did you, sorry, I was just going to ask, did you continue with uh, transcendental meditation or did you explore other forms? Yeah, I explored other forms. Um, I, I did, um, I would say that transcendental meditation was the, um, uh, up until college was definitely my um, primary form of meditation my dad was a transcendental meditation teacher um, when he was younger, and my uncle uh, was also lived with Murray Shid, who started the transcendental meditation movement. But in college, I, there was a great uh, class that was offered where each week it was a different type of meditation, and I think that that is really important uh, for our day and age, where especially in the West, where 
people are not drawn to a specific ideology, but they want to find out for themselves and they're maybe a little bit more skeptical and relate it to their own desires. And I think that exploring different types of meditation is really good because it can connect you with your own passion and desire and agency in, in choosing, um, you know, what you, what you're going to be doing, even though meditation, I would say is pretty similar to it, each other, different meditations uh, in general. Right. I think right. that that was really, um, a, uh, in, in an important part of, uh, what got me started on trying a bunch of different types of meditation to this day. Yeah. And there's been some research on how different types of meditation can have different benefits for our brain too. So I, I do think that it's, uh, you know, a positive thing to try different types of meditation nice. uh, from that standpoint. Well, you gave us a, a treat a few weeks ago and uh, guided us through a Qigong experience. Uh, tell us about how you developed your interest in Qigong. Yeah, so um, I developed my interest in Qigong um, based off of Olivia Rosewood, who um, is one of my, probably my, um, I guess, like, kind of like one of my med bigger meditation teachers and she um, comes from a uh, or studies from this lineage of, of of Taoist meditation teachers qigongs like Taoism or like the yin and yang Taoism everyone you say it um, and um, she is a yeah a wonderful presence and influence in my life um, and um, she is a, actually a um, lives just a few streets down from me and uh, was Eckhart Tolle's personal assistant for a number of years and traveled the world with him. And is also like a, a uh, Tai Chi um, gold medal winner from like the Tai Chi Olympics that happens. She's just like very, has a lot of awareness and, and just like moves, move around in very like smooth and precise ways. And, um, you know, um, so, uh, and yeah, Phil was mentioning that I, I was talking about her earlier. Eckhart Tolle is going to be publishing her next book, which is pretty cool. And, um, fantastic. Congrats to her. Yeah. And, and she's just really great. We're actually, we actually run a website together called easier world. It's still in kind of like the initial beta processes, but it's a website for people with uh, disabilities to help them navigate around when they're, uh, outside of their like normal home system. Is that uh, physical disabilities or like learning? Uh... Both. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like a, you know, a search engine for people to get resources with disabilities. That's different fantastic. Types. Yeah. What was the, uh... she, has a, uh, she has a daughter that has a cerebral palsy. Oh, wow. Well, I can certainly empathize with that. It's, uh, it's amazing how, uh, issues with our loved ones become motivators for us to take action or or do something um, um, yeah my, my son is an aplastic anemia survivor so um, health and wellness especially when it comes to children is very meaningful to me so uh, kudos to Olivia and uh, it's great that you have this site you said it's still being developed or is it live now it's, it's both yeah it's live and it's still being developed it's very you know we're just kind of getting some feedback from 
the people and organizations to kind of figure out the direction we're wanting to go. Well, that's great. And um, uh, wish you all the best on that. And I'm going to check that out myself. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's a wonderful thing you're doing. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.